when I was growing up, I always either wanted to work at a zoo or work in a circus. And I was fortunate to do both because when you work at a zoo, it is a circus. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Welcome to From the Ground Up Podcast. So, as always, well, not kind of as always, because PorCityPythons.com. We obviously have t-shirts available. We have animals available. We're not probably shipping for most of this month, so I guess don't worry about that. So, But uh, we are trying to get out some stuff for Black Friday. We may have a sale on our t-shirts. We won't have sales on animals because, well... You can't know. ship them. So. Yeah, so there's no reason. Plus, not really into the whole Black Friday. It's for uh, hard goods. So I guess I'll do uh, okay. <laughs> soft t-shirts. Okay. But... Other than that, there's Amazon links down in the description. Is there anything I'm missing? Because we're trying to blow through this stuff because nope. obviously we're late because we... The internet. <laughs> yeah. Basically the nope. internet. Go for it. Introduce our guests. All right. So today we have on Randall Berry. Randall has over 30 years in the zoo field, working with most of that time reptiles, and he keeps private collection of venomous snakes. And he has bred Bushmasters not once, but twice. And so we're going to get a little bit into that later, but we're going to start with Randall has a new project going on, uh, the Reptile Gardens and Hot Springs. So Randall, if we can start off with that and kind of tell us a little bit about that project and what we can expect. Hi, Joe. Hi, Melissa. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, we, we uh, well, Grant Battis and I were actually working for... Um, Dennis McGee down in Hot Springs. He, this is he's the brainchild of the Hot Springs National Park Reptile Garden. Um, trying to get off the ground, the land has been purchased and everything. And um, the, he's looking at and talking to, to some investors. It'll be like the Sea World of reptile exhibits. Um, it'll be twenty-eight thousand square feet. Um, going to be huge. We're going to have crocodilians. We're going to have venomous snakes. We're going to have native snakes in an exhibit called Arkansas's Backyard Snakes. And there's snakes from like four different continents. And it's all reptiles and amphibians, no mammals. Uh, but, but on the weekends, we were having a falconry show, a flyover, because the, the ceiling height is 40 feet high. And so there'll be flyovers on uh, Saturday and Sunday. Um, there's a boa bar. There's a gator lounge. There's uh, a research facility. Um, it's going to be a walkthrough with, with uh, you know, waterfalls and, and stuff. And uh, many, many, it's just all snakes. And... Well, we're going to, of course, have some lizards, and we'll have a few amphibians and turtles, of course, and we'll have caimans, crocodiles, and native alligators. We break ground here in the next couple months. That's awesome. Is there any as far as date or, you know, when you think you may open? Well, a lot of people are saying, or my boss is basically saying late spring. I, To be realistic, I think it'll be... Early summer. I mean, I'd like for it to be open now, of course, but um, you know, we're just waiting to get the the, the go ahead to uh, break ground and get it leveled. It'll go up 
fairly quickly. You know, it, it'll be a steel building. A concrete pad will be poured and stuff. Um, Kim Rock out of Dallas is going to be doing the, the, the rock work inside. You know, all that's going to take time. And it depends also, you know, on our winter here down in Hot Springs. As you know, if you have a lot of snow and ice, that delays a lot of things. So let's hopefully we have a nice warm winter and people get going on it and get it up. But it may be midsummer, you know. So I, I really can't, you know, commit for sure and tell people. But when it will open this year or next year, 2019. So I'm really excited about it. Absolutely. So obviously you are very interested in venomous reptiles. Can we expect, you know, a state of the art venomous collection there? <laughs> if I have my say so, yes. <laughs> and I mean, what do you do as far as sourcing animals or kind of what are your confines? What are you looking for? Do you have choice in these types of things? I, I have uh, 100% autonomy on getting the animals um, from my boss. Um, and I have an idea of what I want. I've always been interested in Asian lands and South American lance-headed vipers. Um, and, you know, and I love cobras. I love all venomous reptiles. Um, sea snakes are going to be problematic getting them and maintaining them, you know, for a long time. They just don't do uh, well for a long, long time in exhibits. Um, but I, I'll have 100% say so on you know, the venomous stuff, but then I have Graham and I have Ryan, uh, Graham Battison and Ryan Rumbley, um, who are going to handle uh, most, you know, they're going to handle the venomous. They're going to handle this. They're, they're going to have a say-so in what they want. Also, we all were pretty democratic about it, and I listened to anybody's suggestions, but uh, they're the big boa and python guys. And um, I've never owned a boa constrictor, a common boa constrictor in my life. The only boa I've ever owned in my life was the emerald tree boa. I've just, you know, and I know boas are a big thing, but I just bypassed them when everybody was getting them back 40 years ago. So, but these guys, they know those pythons and those boas a lot better than me. So I, I'm just kind of, uh, you know, giving them that responsibility because I trust their uh, opinion on it. Absolutely. Now, it seems like something that is kind of like by herpers, you know, it's by people in the reptile community. By the people for the people. (laughs) Yeah. And so is it different kind of having all that control from being in obviously zoos throughout the years? Yeah, it it is going to be different. um, Only because I'm in charge and I have to delegate stuff where I never had to do it in the past. I knew what my job duties were. I knew what we had to do to get the building open to the public. And, uh, and you know, and I trust these guys that I'm hiring, and I will be hiring some more keepers uh, to help, you know, to cover time off and vacation time, et cetera, uh, crowd control, whatever, because I, I expect we're going to have a lot of visitors the first couple of years. You always have that in a new exhibit that opens up, especially in a big tourist town like Hot Springs. Yeah, so I don't know much about Hot Springs, but I know uh, there's some type of like mafiosas used to um, basically summer there and stuff like that. Like what what attractions are there in Hot Springs? The Hot Springs Baths, the famous baths, uh, you know, was, that was a big thing. That was always the hangout for Al Capone and all these guys, all the gangsters, you know, back in the 30s. And 
uh, stuff. Uh, the Husky Bath, you have the Arlington Hotel, the Oaklawn Racetrack, you know, it's one of the oldest race horse racing tracks in the South. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's huge. You know, it's only like 39 minutes from my house. I, I live north. I live in Little Rock, so um, the capital city. But um, it, it, it's, it's the largest tourist attraction here. I mean, and they have a lot of stuff there. They have museums and all sorts of things, you know. It's like well, the branch of Missouri, basically, of Arkansas. Right. I, I have a feeling that is going to turn into, you know, kind of a mecca, kind of like uh, Terry Phillip is in South Dakota for, sure. I mean, hardcore herpers. Sure. I, and I hope so. And, and and I love Terry to death. And, you know, I've talked to Terry about this and um, it's all good. <laughs> you know, he's... He's Reptile Gardens, and we're a garden singular, but I didn't choose the name or anything like that. So, and we're the Hot Springs National Reptile Gardens because we are in the national park owned by the, you know, U.S. Fish and Wildlife uh, National Park. So, this originally wasn't your idea? No, ma'am. It was the brainchild of Dennis McGee, who's a longtime herper. He used to, uh, and entrepreneur that lived in hot springs and had a lot of restaurants down there i knew dennis uh back when i lived in florida he he founded one of the first herpetological societies the, the central florida herpetological society back in the um, uh, mid 70s early 70s uh he also used to work with ross allen who was like my mentor when i was growing up in florida and i everybody i'm assuming everybody knows who ross allen is but maybe not because I'm old. Joe does. Well, let's well let's go there because that's a good transition. Obviously, <laughs> as growing up, it seems like you grew up in herpetoculture in Florida. So if you could explain to us a little bit of that, a little bit of the background of working with Ross Allen and all that kind of stuff. Well, I never worked for Ross, but I, you know, I grew up in Tampa, and back then um, you couldn't even see Orlando. Uh, it was all wood when you left Tampa, and I'd go up to Ocala where in Inverness where my grandparents, my dad's parents, lived, my grandparents lived every summer, and Ross Allen had a, uh, a Ross Allen's Reptile Institute, and they would wrestle alligators. It was a Seminole Indian village also. They'd wrestle alligators, uh, milk rattlesnakes, and they had gift shops, and they sold live snakes. And back then, indigos weren't protected. You could buy indigos. You could buy eastern coral snakes. You could buy rattlesnakes, cottonmouths, copperheads by the foot, and all this. And I I, I love this. I, I When I was six years old, I, I, I started keeping snakes. And all I had was garter snakes. Anyway, I entered the um, Tampa, my parents entered me into the Tampa, Florida All Pet Show. And I came in first place because I had a garter snake. And, and I was mentioned in the paper, I had the article somewhere. And uh, I was six years old. And I beat everybody out because everybody had like poodles or a parakeet. But I had a this big ribbon to me it was big it was like a foot and a half and it was my pet and i won first place so you know that was on my path and my parents never discouraged me from having snakes at home the only caveat was i couldn't have venomous but and so, look where you are now <laughs> is that is, is that what sparked your interest i mean what sparked your interest originally were you in a rebel I, no, all snakes were my interest back then but my mom and dad put their foot down and said um I, I brought a copperhead home once and i brought a cottonmouth home once and i was maybe like 
12 and 13 years old and I was in junior high school and they said, no venomous snakes. No, back then it was poisonous snakes, you know, no, you know, but I snuck them in anyway. <laughs> they didn't know I had cages stacked up underneath my bed and stuff. And, so and like, big sweater box. Why did you feel the need to have the bit? Like, what was it about them? because back then it was to me it was like you got something it's like a a loaded gun but you gotta you know keep the safety on it was kind of uh (laughs) you know uh you knew it was dangerous so it tested you you had to like be very 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 careful with it you know and, and stuff but it was the thrill of like you have you're actually looking at something in a box that could kill you back then we you know thought it would so adrenaline uh, pardon adrenaline rush yes exactly an adrenaline rush it, it, it was cool and it was something else that no one else had none of my friends in, in junior high or high school had snakes it was hard to get a date with anybody if girls learned that i had snakes at home <laughs> so I, I learned you know back in the late 60s early 70s when i was in high school um not to tell a girl who i went out with on a friday night that oh by the way i have a rattlesnake at my house and a copperhead or you know that was like the, a date killer you know <laughs> well i mean you gotta ask because from the video you appear to have all your digits still so has the safety always been on that gun or, or what <laughs> yeah I, I have been bit and uh four times in my career you know, working uh, venomous snakes for right at 48 49 50 years you, you know you you are eventually going to get bit if you're an electrician by trade you are going to get uh, shocked if you're a welder you are going to get slag you're going to get a burn etc it goes with the job i guess and all the bites that the four bites i've had every one of them were my fault uh i took my eye off them just for a second um i looked the other way i got distracted um but fortunately they were uh Fairly, only three of them were, you know, very minor bites where I didn't have to have any hospitalization. And one bite I did have to have hospitalization, but I, I just spent the night overnight in the hospital and I snuck out of the hospital the next day. <laughs> why? <laughs> the food was bad there. That's why. <laughs> it's understandable. You don't need to pay that bill if you feel fine and you can walk right out. I respect well, that. That's true. <laughs> so were all those native uh animals or uh two were native and two were uh southeast asian okay and three vipers okay so you weren't finding those in florida you you got oh no no these were all every bite was in captivity one happened at a zoo in texas okay. um while i was on the clock and that's the one that I, I had to go to the hospital because that was the zoo city protocol. You had to, if you got bit, you had to go to the hospital, even though I insisted, I'm okay. You know, but because I just wanted to go home and drink a beer or and take an aspirin. And I found that's the worst thing to do because aspirin, I didn't think of it at the time, you know, thins the blood, which makes the swelling go up, you know, your arm or, you know, where I got bit on the hand up your arm, across your chest cavity, you know. So that was a mistake. But so the, other word, special... the other three bites were at home in my private collection. Is there special, like, zoo insurance? I don't know. 
Well, no, it's just like any place like you work. You know, you have medical insurance. You know, so they have uh, uh, an on-the-job in- injury. You know, um, workers' comp. I guess. <laughs> now, I mean, how did you transition from obviously a hobbyist to a professional zookeeper? Well, well, Joe, it's like this. When I was growing up, I always either wanted to work at a zoo or work in a circus. And I was fortunate to do both. Because when you work at a zoo, it is a circus. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) So, I mean, was it a lot less? Because now they always want you to have a four-year degree, that kind of stuff. Was it a lot less like that? I mean, was it easier to get in as a hobbyist? Yeah, yeah, I guess so, because I didn't have a degree. I, I didn't go to college, um, but I had to knock a lot of doors. I mean, I, I had a private collection for years and years before I started in the zoo field. And I went to conferences and got to, new zoo, got to know zookeepers and curators and bug them a lot. And I mean, just bug the hell out of them and ask them questions and stuff. And they knew that I had a sincere interest. And so I started out at a small zoo in Texas. I think in 1987 or 86, I'm not sure. And it's a long time ago. But um uh 1987 according to your bio. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm old now. And anyway, so, uh, you know, and and I got lucky once I got my foot in the door uh in the zoo field, it made it easier to go to move up to bigger zoos in my career and um uh, do a lot of work, learn a lot of things from people. Um uh, you know, and get with the program and stuff and uh, and make a career out of it. I, I, you know, it's something I always wanted to do. It's not a high paying job. If you really want to make money, become a lawyer or a doctor or something. Don't become a zookeeper. But if you love animals, and I'm not money driven at all. So you want to be able to do what makes you happy is all I'm I'm trying to say. And, and that what that's what made me happy. And my parents never discouraged me, which uh, uh, thank God for that. They they uh, encouraged me and they said, just be happy because life is short and just do what you want to do. Just like what you guys are doing right now. You're doing this podcast and stuff and you're into reptiles because you want to do it. I don't think you're making millions of dollars, Joe and Melissa, are you? <laughs> We're making negative uh, $35 on the podcast because you got to pay to host it. Can you, can you lend me 20 <laughs> <laughs> Barely. <laughs> and that's only because I sold the corn snake this morning. So. Oh. oh, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. But, <laughs> but, I mean, how did your personal collection grow in – Concurrence with your, uh, you know, obviously your zoo career. Um, I, I back before shows, before like uh, Orlando shows and stuff, uh, we would meet at the IHS uh, International Herpetological Symposium. Keepers would be uh, keepers would be from other zoos. We'd meet and we had a private collection and we would trade things, animals off and stuff. Uh, way before there were shows, we meet in hotel rooms, and uh, this guy went to Arizona this week, and he collected these many rattlesnakes are out in Southern California, or I would import stuff back back in the mid-70s from uh, Thailand, and, uh, you know, cobras and things, and I would take them to shows and trade them. It was all hush-hush. we do it in hotel rooms, and we, we all have this common bond with keepers 
guys and girls just like me you know and then the hobby started growing when there were reptile shows like when wayne hill first started the orlando show you know wayne is probably the the godfather of, of reptile shows no doubt now how was it because it seems like it shifted really big from like a trade culture like you all traded reptiles to where you know the albino berms came along and it seemed that that there was money in it so like what was that shift like and how did you kind of adjust to that well i didn't adjust to it because i you know the albino berms came originally you know from alfred ojeda to tom crushfield and tom loaned them to bob clark on the albino berms but uh but when bob started breeding them and stuff and that happened and then you have the influx of leopard geckos and then bearded dragons then the ball pythons and the ball python morphs you know when you first saw pies you know they were ten thousand dollars i remember you know, looking at them in deli cups it's like ten thousand dollars good god that was some people's half of their yearly salary but people would buy that stuff back then and that's when it all kind of exploded but back then we were all just interested in the common stuff and trying to learn everything we can and i like venomous reptiles and I only had native stuff. And my very first exotic venomous reptile was an Akistradon Blomhoffi, uh, which is a Japanese mamushi. And then my second one was a saw scale viper. And um, never got bit, thank God, because that's a bad bite. But um, I kind of started with the hard stuff, you know, cobras and stuff later on. They were easy and Russell vipers, that kind of stuff was easy. But, you know, but I had to, you know, let me digress. I had to go back and start with the more common stuff and learn that for, I, I kind of jumped the gun on it. I went real exotic at first. And then I just realized there was a lot of things in between that that was actually easier to keep better to keep and if you bred it you made more money and it it did become a money making thing because you have to pay for you know your food your time and then your travel or hotels and taking you know set buying tables so but you don't make any money so during that time when you were kind of trading in hotel rooms and stuff were you just focusing on keeping animals alive at that point or was there still like a captive breeding aspect where was your goal to captive breed these animals it was keeping them alive you were 100 percent right um we, we we never thought about making money until we started having all these and we figured out how to breed things hatch eggs or uh you know bob applegate was learning people were like and, and bill love were learning how to hatch eggs corn snakes uh arizona king snakes uh, uh well, then what are we going to do all this babies and, and you back back then a lot of time we just traded something traded something off for a new bloodline or, or for another animal we wanted to work with we never really thought about it that we were going to make any money it was a hobby and that was that's how pure it was back then you know it was it was it, we just try to keep them alive and then talk to people like oh i had this snake for six months it was doing good and all of a sudden it's belly up you know so uh, then I, I and then I said, well, I knew a guy that had one kept alive for nine months. You know, and you go, okay. Then you call this guy on the phone. We didn't have cell phones then; it was all landlines. You know, we didn't have email, computers, and so we'd call him or we'd write letters and put a six cent stamp on it and lick that thing and mail it. And 
You wait two weeks and get a response. Okay, Randall, I kept it at, you know, 82 degrees with 50% humidity. So you have to get a hygrometer. You're going, what the hell is a hygrometer? You know, I, I didn't know that me measured humidity. You know, so I'd go like to the garden shop or, you know, what's a hygrometer? So, and buy one, you know. So, you know, that it wasn't money driven then like it is now. You know, it's a shame because the hobby has gotten that way in a, in a way that as you guys know it's the money first the animals second and it wasn't that way at first at all it was always the animals first what the heck yeah, now i mean you can see there's an there's an obvious shift there but i mean i do you find animals in the wilds do you go herping yourself because now i mean obviously 99 percent of our industry at this point is you know kind of they know snakes and tubs. I mean, they don't necessarily go herping or find them in the wild. I mean, is that one of your pastimes also? Do you go and herp? Yeah, I still go and herp. I, I love it. Uh, I don't go to um, – I mean, I'll go to reptile shows, but um, but you are exactly right, Joe. 99% um, of the people there, they go herping. They, they look for herps in deli cups at shows. It's more convenient for them, and they can pick and choose. But I like going outside. Even Ryan does. Um, and, and we'll go out in, in the spring and the summer, uh, the fall, you know, nice weather, and it's like flipping tin, flipping boards and looking for stuff. And, and, you know, Ryan, to his credit, likes a lot of just the common snakes instead of all these morphs and stuff. And me too. I mean, we, we've kind of gotten away from that. We were talking about ball pythons earlier. You hardly ever see a real normal-looking royal python, you know, as they were called, you know, ball python anymore. It's got to be, you know, spider, all this, you know, butterscotch, cinnamon, strawberry, fields forever type, you know, ball python. I, do you do you personally still keep? I mean, do you keep any morphs of anything, or is it all wild types? I have uh, one morph, uh, a T positive. Um, Albino, of course, T positive. Um, blood python. Is Wrong that from Ryan? Is that Ryan's fault? Uh, no, it's not Ryan's fault, but it's it will be shortly. <laughs> <laughs> so you do you keep some other uh, non venomous animals? Yes, I do. I to be honest with you, I, I keep come here. You got them in there. I keep uh I like black rat snakes, I like prairie king snakes, I like speckled king snakes that I'll be shortly getting off Ryan. And um and I have uh Tessera corn snakes and um salmon corn snakes. I've gotten I've really gotten back into clubers a lot. Um and then the rest of the stuff I have is uh venomous. So you awesome. have a good bit. Yeah, I just I have like Asian tree vipers now. And basically, and a few rattlesnakes. These guys, they're these days, rather. Pardon? What? What's your collection size these days? Oh, I, I counted them the other day. I, I think I have thirty-nine snakes. Okay, you know, so. from down from like, I don't know. You know, five years ago it was probably two hundred and thirty, two hundred and forty. Whoa! Got really down a lot. But you got all those. Yeah. Now think, for oh. oh do you think opening the reptile garden might uh, increase your collection size again? Um, you know, after I retired from the zoo two years ago, I, I my collection was down like it is now, and I thought, well, now I've got all this time in my hand. I'm gonna I'm gonna build my collection back up two three hundred snakes and work you know snakes 
in my snack room, you know, eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, you know, and, you know, on my terms and on my time. And you know what? I haven't done it because when I, I got retired, I, I I found other things to do. But, you know, my passion and my love for stuff. And then I'm working on the uh, the reptile garden thing. So, but I, I've now been more selective. Um, I'm working with a, a few really neat rattlesnakes, uh, morphs that I, they are morphs that I really like. And I have some uh, crowless rubers, some red rattlesnakes that are just really red and just, um, and, and I got a couple of cobras, you know, I got, you know, so it's that I'm working with and it's some species of cobras that, uh, the, the Nigra Sancta that I've never bred before. So, and I, it's, to me, it's always a challenge to get a new species of snakes and, and, and try to figure them out and breed. So. Now, for, for a lot of us, this is our kind of escape from our day jobs and stuff like that. So how was it like working all day with animals and having to come home and work and with your own animals? animals? You know, I get asked that a lot. And, and uh, I asked myself that. I could 40 hours a week, you know, from 8 to 5, I would work reptiles at the zoo. And I'd come home. Back then, I had 250, maybe 300 animals. And I would come home, kind of relax for a minute, maybe crack open a beer, smoke a cigarette, and then get busy and then work till like midnight and go to bed at 1230 or so, get up early in the morning, take a shower, put my uniform on, go to work, repeat the process. And I did it for years and years and years. It, it never bothered me because I love snakes or reptiles that much. So. It's also like you're working with stuff where you need to be on all the time. You can't really relax. Especially you know, with You can't get. <laughs> yeah, I probably only, I still probably only sleep four or five hours a night. I don't know why. I, I'm, I've always been pretty hyper and um, I always want to go, 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 because I know life's short. And so I want to, you know, <laughs> do everything I can before my time is over. <laughs> you know, I, I, I I enjoy it and I, I love what I'm doing and stuff. And I can, um, all I need is about three or four hours a day to recharge. And I'm like the energy energizer, energizer bunny and I'm ready to go. <laughs> I guess it's easy when you do only pretty much what you love, you know, in comparison to a lot of people. Yeah. It's like the circus I was talking about in the zoo. So, you know, it's exactly what it is. You know, when you're growing up, some people want to be a ball player. Uh, some guy, you know, wants to be an astronaut or a lawyer or, or the president of the United States. I just wanted to work with reptiles. And I couldn't believe the first paycheck I ever got working at a zoo. Uh, I got handed a paycheck on my first week. And I, I, I saw this check and I said, what is it? And I asked my boss, he goes, that's your paycheck for working all week. And I said to him, you're actually paying me to work snakes i would have done this for free then i realized oh i got rent paid at my new apartment you know where i moved down to texas <laughs> oh okay but i i was so i forgot that i was getting paid because i just wanted to do this so bad so why did you end up moving to texas in the first place because i couldn't get a job here in arkansas at the zoo here that i ended up at i came back here twice and worked here like a total of 23 years because i didn't have experience and so you had to start out at a, a smaller zoo to get your foot in the door and i knew that so you kind of have to it's like any job you have to work your way up 
So I left, I went to Ellen Trout Zoo in Lufkin. We have probably the best reptile collections in the state of Texas, believe it or not, better than at the time than Houston Zoo, Fort Worth Zoo, Dallas Zoo did um, back in the 70s or 80s. And um, then I went to the Caldwell Zoo for like a year and a half. And then I came up here to Little Rock for a year or so. Then I was offered a job at uh, Tom Crestfield Reptile Enterprises. Yes, yeah, so I guess let's talk a little bit about that because that seems. Oh, I opened the door, didn't I? Because <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a little bit of a shift. Obviously, you were at the Little Rock Zoo, and then I believe it was 1994. You headed over to Tom Crutchfield. So, could you explain a little bit what you did there and kind of uh, what you're in charge of at Tom Crutchfield Reptiles? Yes. Um, Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> Joe is doing something technical here that I don't know what he's doing. I mean, Ryan is. He's really good at propping up the phone. So. <laughs> make sure. Are we okay power. now? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That just makes sure you have power. Oh, okay. <laughs> As you can see, where's my landline? <laughs> <clears throat> um, I was a uh, manager. Uh, I've known Tom, you know, for years and years when he was at uh in Fort Myers, Florida. You know, when uh, Chris McQuaid and Bill Love worked for him. Um, the Harding brothers and stuff like that. Um, known Tom, you know, since, oh gosh, like forever, it seems like. And uh, I always go down and see his place. And he, uh, he moved to Bushnell, Florida. Well, actually, their shop was in Lake Panasofsky. And of course, I knew the area because that's where I, I spent all my time when I was a kid in, in Florida, in, or up in Ross Adams, right down the road on Highway 48. So, um, Tom offered me a job, dream manager, and um, I went down there for like a week, flew down there, flew into Tampa, rented a car, and drove up like 50 miles you know, north of Tampa, and um, stayed at his house, of course. I uh, went to the shop every day. Um, it was a chance, and the money was very, very good, more money than I was making at the zoo. Um, also, I had a chance to see reptiles and amphibians that... 99% of the people in the world will never see that we, we had him. I mean, I saw stuff that was just so freaking incredible. It, it was just, uh, you know, unbelievable. Some of the stuff we saw, I couldn't afford it. You know, Tom couldn't afford it. He was like, we were just moving it or selling it for somebody. But, you know, albino alligators. And we were the first one to have albino alligators and uh, et cetera. Uh, and leucistic this and that and, and the snakes and and the cyclura i mean and the tortoises and the stuff just incredible i can only imagine that adrenaline rush it's like a kid in a candy shop or a kid on you know christmas morning you know waking their parents up at 5 a.m and say get up let's let them wrap these presents you know it was like incredible and um i got to meet a lot of, of uh, people there a lot of interesting characters too but you know I was about to say the environment at that time, I mean, probably that was in the heyday of Strictly as well as um, Glade Herp, as well as, I mean, Hank Malt and stuff like that. I mean, what was kind of the, was there any competition between those guys or was it always like. No, hey, no, no. We got? blew Glades and, and Strictly out of the water then and, and they knew that. <laughs> and it's way before Ryan Gitman had. Uh, underground reptiles and you know and then before Hall Town Herps 
uh, you know, up in Gainesville. No, we were we were the kings. Strictly was probably next, then Glades was probably third. I'm not, I'm not I'm not bragging. I'm not you know. I'm I'm just being honest. That's just the way it was. Yeah. Now, obviously, 1996 or 1997, from my understanding, is when Tom went to Belize. So, I mean, were you just out of a job immediately or what? I mean, what goes down? Um, I, I knew he got indicted and I was there when the uh, shop was raided. Um, um, I, I didn't I wasn't privy or didn't know that he was going to flee. But when I knew it went down and I uh, got subpoenaed by uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, I quit my job. I quit. And I didn't give notice. I called him and told him I quit. And I got a U-Haul and I uh, drove from Floral City where I lived, which is right outside Lake Panasofi, back up here to Little Rock. And stayed at my mom and dad's house. I, me and my wife, I didn't have a place to go. I had that and two dogs and about 200 snakes, you know, in a big U-Haul. And um, it was February. It was cold. It was very, very cold. And um, we had to drive it straight through. It was like a 16-hour drive. Anyway. Oh, wow. I, I, you know, I, I, and then I heard like the next day over the phone. Because um, I did have a cell phone back then, believe it or not. And, but the company paid for it. Um, Crestfield Reptiles, you know, a lot of people didn't have cell phones in 97 and I had one and, um, you know, I, you know, I got a call the next day. Tom's gone. Where'd he go? Well, he's in Mexico. Then I found out, you know, later on, I talked to other people. He went to Belize and then of course, you know, he got deported back. So I think you guys know what the rest of the story is. Yes. I mean, were you afraid at that point? I mean, obviously, it looks like on your bio, you got your job back in Little Rock. But I mean, were yeah, you afraid? Yeah, I did. I explained everything to my former boss here in Little Rock. Um, I got subpoenaed to testify against Tom, and I did. And um, I told Tom I was going to. I saw him in the room as I was as I was waiting to go to the grand jury. We are in the, um, the witness room, and Tom was there. And Tom told me, he said, just tell the truth, Randall. I said, don't worry, I'm going to tell the truth. I was just the manager, and they were questioning me about some wire transfers that I made overseas. Because I was the manager, and I had my signature on it, and I had to take the wire transfers over to the bank. And eventually, I guess, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, they tied that money into some sort of illegal activity. I was never clear on that, and it was never really explained to me. But I wasn't going to go down for Tom or anybody. I, you know, I was going to tell the truth. That's just the way it is. And I would do that today. It's not, it's not snitching or anything. It's like, you know, you got, you, I got called in. I was at work when I got the subpoena. I was back at the Little Rock Zoo when they came, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, came to the zoo in uniform. And they said, are you Randall Berry? I said, yeah, it's got my name tag here in my, <laughs> they said, we have a warrant, you know. And they put me on a plane here in Little Rock and flew me that night directly into Orlando to testify the next morning. And I was telling them as they were taking me in the car, they didn't handcuff me. I said, well, I got to stop at home and get my clothes overnight. And they said, we already went to your house and your wife already packed you an overnight bag. And they what? had it in their hands. Oh, yeah, they were at my house before I came to the zoo. They knew they were coming to get me. I saw Tom the next morning and I, and I talked to the prosecutor. I said, what's up? And he said, well, we want to, if these are your signatures, they showed me signature comparisons and stuff. And I said, yeah, that's my signature. I'm going to lie. And Tom said, Randall, whatever you do, go in there and tell the truth. And I did. I had no idea about the Sanzinia 
which basically what they got him for. You know, earlier he was convicted on the Fiji Island iguana, iguana deal, but that was years before. This was on the Tanzania that he got from the guys from Germany. And they so were in the Is that, I mean, there's still Tanzania floating around. So is that the original bloodline that's still around today? I would say there's probably, you know, Tom Ruff, the original, well, he didn't bring it in. Wolfgang Chloe did out of Germany. <laughs> um, Tom, you know, bought those animals. And apparently he knew they were smuggled. At the time, I saw those animals many times, but I even fed them. I didn't know they were smuggled. Um, we never asked for paperwork. We, you know, I was a manager and uh, I had, you know, like 11 employees underneath me. Now they're basically cage cleaners and stuff and, and people with these snakes. So we we just assumed everything was legal. We didn't know the Sanzinia. Tom would say, look, we got these great Sanzinia. I said, oh, they are great, you know, some nice light green ones. I mean, big, big snakes too. You know, four or five foot big, big around. Now, clearly, I mean, from my understanding is like with Tom and Mike Van Nostren and all that stuff, U.S. Fish and Wildlife was really just trying to make a case as far as or show their strength as far because not many people have been indicted and stuff on wildlife laws. I mean, prior to that. I, I, I think you're exactly you hit the nail on the head, boy. They were trying to make an example out of them. Uh, same thing with Mike Van Nostrum, you know, as strictly. So um, those guys, both Tom and Mike and Ray Van Nostrum, you know, back then, they, they made a lot of money. They, they knew how to price animals. They knew how to market the animals. And they had the merchandise. And the hobby at that time in the mid-90s was really starting to explode. It overtook the tropical fish market, you know, in the early 60s and early or mid 70s to we had reptiles. So uh, and then we had shows and stuff and they exploited that. I mean, the timeline there, do you think that that is like one of the things that shifted the market over to the morphs and stuff like because that's when you really started seeing morphs popping up? I, I don't remember seeing morphs popping up until about 1999. Okay. 2000 you see a few and, and you know it, it, you see you know pie ball ball python you didn't see any albino ball pythons in 2000 you know that's 18 years ago you didn't see them then you know but and you saw how they rose and this stuff and now they're everything kind of calmed down the market everybody started breeding and stuff one thing tom told me a long time ago and it's true and i even hate to admit it but when you sell these rare animals to a customer for a lot of money Eventually, you're selling to your competitor in four or five years. Right. And it's true. And that's why you see the battle, and then all the prices and stuff start going down. So you want to get in early. If you want to make any money in reptiles, you want to get it on the ground floor very early and then get out. Other people. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're selling to your, your friends and your buddies, and, and you forget you sold this het for whatever snake five years ago to some guy a guy comes to the show with the table next to you and he's got oh yeah i got these originally from you and these were just fantastic snakes and he's blowing you off the out of the market you know yeah and you're going yeah. oh why did i sell that that morph to him you know i should have kept it myself and bred it so you are selling to your customer i'm just in it for the hobby i don't make money uh, bringing and selling snakes Right. So a little bit different. I barely break even. Go ahead. 
a little bit different question. Do you feel like it is possible to compare your time at Crutchfield Enterprises to your time at the zoo or is it apples and oranges? Is it just so different or can you really compare them? You can't compare them. You know, you're working for an animal dealer and you have maybe 100, 200 snakes every week come in from all over the, the, the world. Um, so you're constantly moving stuff and, and learning stuff. And, uh, you know, you get a lot of uh, DOAs on there and uh, or you have some animals that are difficult to feed and um, you're trying different things. It's not like a zoo setting and a work where everything is, you know, like it's basically like a zoo. Like any job is an eight to five job. You have a routine you go through every day. And, you know, you know, when you have to have these cages clean before you open the zoo at 10 o'clock for the public. So your all your animals are clean. You got no poop in the cage or anything. You, everything's clean. Everything looks good and blah, blah. And then you shut the building down and check all your charges at night. Make sure all the cages are locked. You have no escapes. And before you go home every day and first thing in the morning, you go back in the zoo. You check all your charges, make sure everybody's alive. Everybody's where they're supposed to be and stuff. But at a reptile dealership, uh, thing, it's like a fast food restaurant. They, they they come and go very, very quick. Yeah, now I remember hearing Tom say, you know, money in the bank is better than a dead snake in a tank. I mean, so obviously, I mean, you must, especially with imports, I mean, you must be obviously turning them around quick enough to make money to bring in more snakes. I mean, how many how many animals were you bringing in? I, I You know, it, it was... I, I couldn't give you a number. It, it was a lot. I, I will say that. I, I can remember seeing like unpacking. Uh, we go get either go down to Miami and clear shipments or camp and clear shipments and drive them back up and, and stay on a Friday night or a Thursday or Friday night and stay till 10 or 11 o'clock. You know, it depends. The shop would be closed at five from the public and we'd be unpacking stuff. And I would see, you know, 500 ball pythons and we're just picking through them and and the tom would go or i would go oh this is the caramel look that's kind of cool it's ugly and tom would go over here we'll sell that you know <laughs> at the time I, I thought what's this ugly and he goes no we'll make some money off that thing you know tom was good about naming the snake we're going to call this caramel butterscotch and then the, the next price list would come out and say caramel butterscotch and then people thought it was a new morph and stuff and he put 500 dollars on it and the phone would ring off the hook <laughs> You know, people give you your credit cards or, or bring cash. You know, what that butterscotch caramel or whatever. Yeah, it, it was just silly. You know, it was silly. Or, or this would have had green on it and red, a little gold. We'd go, it's a Christmas tree. We're going to call this the Christmas tree ball python. <laughs> and it would work. And it would work. People ate it up. <laughs> I don't know if that says more to Tom or to the rest of us that we. Well, no, I think Tom we're just stupid. Tom was good at marketing animals. He, yeah. he he was very good at marking animals and coming up with snake names like uh, Hank Mole came up with the Borneo bat eater, you know. Uh, that, that was a, a great name for for a morph, you know, for a reticulated python in Burmese or an African rock and retic, you know, python. They 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 are it's a weird snake, but he he called them Borneo bat eaters, and he produced babies and he'd get five back then he'd get five thousand dollars a piece for him. He, he marketed this is a Borneo bat eater. You know, oh, that's great. First, you got this Indonesian island, you know, Borneo, and then you got a bat eater. You know, we're going to a beautiful big snake, mean snake, but I mean, great marketing. Tom came up with a lot of marketing names, you know, and morph names. 
It's silly, but it worked. Now, were you privy? I mean, working at zoos, were you privy to how business worked as far In as the reptiles? After seaside. Well, yeah, I was the manager. I wasn't privy to the um, the, the smuggling. Oh, no, that's not what Sorry, I meant. I just the, meant, like, at the, the zoos, zoos, like, while you were there, did you realize that there was such a business growing for reptiles? I mean... Oh, yeah. And I have friends that didn't work there that I good friends with in Florida. I grew up with and snake hunting with all the time. And, and um, they were envious that I worked there. And they were saying, Randall, like, you got to start your own business. You know, you know the contacts. And I knew the contacts. I knew who I could ex- import all. I had Tom's all his contacts. And I'm not saying I could have took it over. I mean, I could have been and done it on my own, but I didn't want to wake up dead. Mm. You know, so you felt that it was just the right thing to do is to just clean break and go back yeah, to your yeah, and go back normal because life, right? It, it was it was getting pretty bad when um, we got raided a couple times by U.S. Fish and Wildlife, and it was scary. It, it uh, they went through your drawers, they looked through everything, they show up at your house with a warrant and stuff, and um, you know, it's not nice, you know, when someone knocks on your door and they have a gun, you can see it. They're not holding it on you or anything, but you can see it, you know, on your chest and stuff. And they say, you Randall Berry, we have a search warrant. Yeah. Yeah. Come on in, guys. Want a beer or whatever? You know, you have to, you know, I had nothing to hide. So, but it, it's not nice when someone knocks on your door at nine o'clock at night. You're not expecting anybody. And you got three or four agents, you know. <laughs> now was it i mean it must have been a relief relief in a sense though when you get back to the little rock zoo and kind of get back to your it was um, it was uh, it, it was it was a big relief um because i i didn't know what was actually going happening going down until maybe that day of the raid and everything and um and I, you know i talked to some people and um the scope was a lot bigger than I was ever told. And Tom's always told me, he said, we kept you out of a lot of that stuff. And we did that with other employees too. I said, why'd you keep it from us? Because I didn't want you to worry or, or anything. I, I, you know, you were doing a good job, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just doing my job. And uh, the things I learned that happened because I saw the indictments and, um, uh, and the charges, it really surprised me and shocked me because I didn't realize it was going on. But U.S. Fish and Wildlife thought I should because I was a manager, and I said just because I was a manager, I mean, ta- and and I wasn't privy to everything they were doing. Right. I, I just, I mean, I, I, I swear to God, I, I really wasn't. Um, and I realized, you know, that he was protecting me later. I don't know if you, you could probably read it in Jenny Smith's book, Stolen World. Um, he loves that book. You know, there's like a chapter in there about it. So, um, he he was like. Uh, he was protecting me and some other people. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's. I mean, less people that know is probably good. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's no longer a secret if you know other people know it. So you're exactly right. And now, I mean, obviously, the zoos, at least now with AZA accredited zoos and stuff like that. I mean, there's in endangered species, you know, protection plans and stuff like that. So, like, um, what kind of like conservation minded things were you doing in your career at like places like Little Rock and stuff like well, that? Well, we, 
we participated in the SSP, the Species Survival Plan of the Louisiana Pine Snake, of course, uh, Pithiopus Ruth and I, and um, Aruba Island Rattlesnake, you know, Crotalus Unicolor. That's, that's what we're involved in at the Little Rock Zoo. Um, of course, a lot of zoos do different type of uh, PMPs or SSP programs. Uh, but we, and we were also in the San Francisco Garter Snake uh, PMP, uh, SSP, not PMP. Not the program management plan, but species survival plan. So, um, yeah, I participated in it, and I was an AZA member for about 18 years. So, awesome. Now, I mean, did you, because I may need your help with the, the Ruth and I, because I have a few of them, and I think they were too small for me last year, but I've been trying to breed them. I mean, had, did you end up breeding those animals yourself, or obviously you may know a little bit more? We, we did not breed Louisiana pine snakes at the zoo. They weren't in my section. I bred them at home. I had my own personal ones, and I bred them for years. But we did breed a lot of uh, San Francisco garter snakes to be re-released in San Francisco. And then uh, the SSP coordinator who used to work for U.S. Fish and Wildlife, um, they sent in a memo out to every zoo that had them and said, do not um, breed these animals anymore. And we said, well, what do we do with them? We can't just can't give them to the public because they're protected. Right. And uh, they basically said, you know, put them on a walk and stir fry them or freeze them, you know. And we thought that was just like crazy. But they, we eventually had to keep them off display. And, um, you know, <laughs> that was an SSP program that didn't work out. And now... I mean, why do you think there is such a disconnect as far as, I mean, people don't seem to realize that maybe the hobbyist or the private keeper may have something to contribute as far as, you know, maybe if we are captive breeding these animals, there's no reason to pluck them from the wild, stuff like that, stuff we already have. I mean, how do you think, I mean, or do you support things like obviously private keeping and stuff like that and what they can contribute towards the hobby. And why do you think zoos are like very try to separate themselves from us, like the regular hobbyists? Zoos did for a long time, back in the seventies and eighties and probably the early nineties, but they don't now the private sector outbreed zoos 1000 to one now, and now zoos are working with private hobbyists, but here's the problem Back then, it was like a snobbery thing because we were we were allowed to have this, that, and the other. Then private hobbyists started getting permits to have endangered species and stuff. However, here's a here's a problem now in zoo fields: lack of space for animals. That's why the surplus. That's why a lot of zoos at Little Rock Zoo we quit breeding. I had an order from the director eight years ago: quit breeding. I don't care how endangered it is, quit breeding. We can't do anything with the offspring unless you want to keep them all in sweater boxes and raise them up, you know, 50 cobras or whatever, forever. You know, it's going to take more manpower and stuff. Quit breeding them because we can't get rid of them because the zoos don't have space for them anymore. Hmm. Was and there that, a time? And, and so it's not really, you know, it, 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 the the reputation of the zoos were kind of snobbish or whatever and, and not dealing with the public sector. But, but I worked, since I worked in the zoo all that time, and I knew the contact, and they knew I had a private collection. I was fortunate. they I got a lot of stuff from zoos that the public didn't get, only because the caveat was because I worked at a zoo. 
So I had that advantage. And now, obviously, zoos can't sell anything, so you got to take those home for sure they, free. No, they can't. They can, they can still sell and trade. I mean, I can still deal with some zoos. They know I'm retired. They know I have a private collection. But you fin- fill out a vendor application, and, and, and they vet you. You're vetted. You know, so um, I'm just, you know, lucky to do it. But, no, someone off the street or some hobbyist that has a leopard gecko or bearded dragon just can't go in there and get a Jim and Boa, you know, from a zoo or something. Or, you know, something that's harmless, but rare. <laughs> yeah. I was just fortunate because I was, you know. Has the amount of red tape that zoos has to go through, like, has that fluctuated over the years, or you felt like it stayed consistent or increased during certain times? It, it, it's basically the same. They have to go the same red tape that the private sector does. Uh, just because you're an AZA accredited zoo or a ZAA accredited zoo, you still have to jump through the same hoops. Um, it, it's all black and white. I mean. I don't care if you're a zillion dollar zoo, you still have to go through the, the same paperwork and the same thing as the like you would have to or Joe would have to. Was it easier back then in the eighties and nineties? No. Actually it was probably a little harder. I think it's uh I think it's easier now. It's it's more expedited, I guess, now than it was back then. Because you had to, you can do it now all online. Back back in the eighties and nineties, everything was on paperwork. You had to you fill everything out longhand and mail it in, and you have to wait six months before you even heard anything back. You know, from them. Wow. So. <clears throat> now I know. Obviously, now there's such a focus on the like zoos and closures and stuff like that. I mean, when you first started, was there a much more minimal mindset of the setup of the animals? And you're saying, obviously, zoos are kind of running out of space. Is that as a result of that? Yes, it was minimal. Um, it were basically square wooden boxes with glass fronts with minimal cage furniture, gravel, a water bowl, maybe a tree branch. That's it. But we've gotten, as you know, more creative and uh, <coughs> zoos have gotten more naturalistic looking zoos. But I can remember just being square boxes and and with a light over it, and that was it. And no no hide boxes, no fake plants or real plants, and that was just it. But it has because uh, yeah, zoos now are, are concentrated more on education and conservation and uh, building naturalistic enclosures for them. Humidity control, heat control, et cetera, et cetera. Back then, everything was pretty hot. If it died, it died because it got too hot. The reptile house back in the 60s and 70s weren't air-conditioned. I saw it many times. So I guess there wasn't a lot of Asian rat snakes, unfortunately, for us. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of Asian rat snakes. Maybe if you lived in New York or Canada. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. Or Philadelphia. We, yeah. Our oldest zoo. Now, have, I mean, we've reached your hour you said you could stick around for an hour so now if people want to reach out to you even about the zoo or anything like that um is there any way for them to get in touch with either you or obviously the reptile gardens um i'm building a a reptile garden page right now on facebook but they can always contact me on facebook okay so it's randall berry right on facebook and then the reptile right. garden page is just reptile. Oh garden. yeah, I, I do want to mention. I, I, I think I mentioned uh, Ryan Rumbly earlier. I, I want to give him my appreciation again. Um, come over here, Ryan. Aww. Hey, this guy is such a sweetheart. 
<laughs> and um, and my wife is over there. Lenisa, so she's over there somewhere. You wanna come oh, over here? Wait, real? I forgot to ask. What does your wife think about Venice? That's always my oh, question. Oh, my wife. What does she think about Venice? My wife. This is my wife, and she loves uh, snakes and everything. And that's Melissa, and that's Joe. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Joe. Hi. Hi. What was your first thought when he told you he's a venomous snake keeper? Oh, she can't hear you. She didn't have headphones on. Um, she told me she loved it. <laughs> no, she she goes, what? Are you kidding me? I want a divorce. No, she, she, she knew I had snakes when I met her and stuff. She was good with it, so. But anyway, um, I, you know, I, I appreciate you guys having me on, but Thanks I got to so run. Yes. Um, Ryan, do you want to say something? Uh, Get out of here. Okay. I really want to thank Ryan for setting this up because my computer screwed up so much. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, thanks, Ryan, for us using your phone. <laughs> yeah, it's, thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Two thank podcasts in a row. Thank you, Randall. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. So you may have to... There you go. You're going to just see probably a little red phone. <laughs> Ryan's got you. Ryan, oh, hang out yeah, for we'll, you. We'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I figured that... Well, here you go. We got Ryan again. Yeah, we'll sit here for a minute. Thank you for making that happen. How close do y'all live? Uh, 20 minutes, maybe. Oh. Okay. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> It's it's funny because like you when you think of Arkansas, it's like the South's version of Wyoming, in my opinion, is uh because like you know like when I talked to you guys last week, you know the reason I ended up in Arkansas is like uh, my first wife was active military like I was, and she got orders to uh, Arkansas, and I was like I was like what the fuck is in Arkansas. <laughs> And you know bases are always put in where nothing else is. Oh, man. and Yeah, and it's in Jacksonville, which is where I live. Uh, because, you know, um, I got the house under my name with the VA loan, you know, blah, blah. But uh, so I live in Jacksonville right around the corner from the base, which is cool for me because, you know, I'm not active duty anymore, but I'm guard now. So when I do my drill weekend. I just, you know, drive like two miles down the street and I'm on the air base. But... Uh, you know, Jacksonville is, is nothing. So, but it, it's cool because, you know, Arkansas, when I first got here and I started meeting people, you know, I didn't know that like Randall Berry lived here, you know, and I just met Dennis McGee, you know, last month, you know, when Graham came over from the UK and, uh, you know, I didn't, one, Dennis doesn't look like he's, I think he's 78 years old or something like that, but he doesn't look like it. And, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I stopped keeping snakes for a while back in, like, 85 or something. I was, like, five years old, and I was like, holy crap, man. <laughs> but, um, you know, because Dennis, Dennis is a great guy, and I've only talked to him that one time. But, you know, he is keeps... mine? No, that's mine. Uh, and he keeps, uh, you know, he has a lot of the bittest, the, uh, you know, he has gaboons and rhinos and all kinds of stuff. He gave me a bull snake, which, you know... There's always room at my place for, uh, you know, Pichuofa's stuff. Because, like, you can't, like, is, as far as colubrids go, like, you know, all that stuff, the pine snakes and the bull snakes, just so badass. I love those. I'll always have room for an extra one. I don't it's like gave... a rattlesnake without consequences. I don't see I it. Them. Yeah. You don't like those? <laughs> well, I love... or, 
Yeah, yeah you also like the Earth stuff, and to me, it's just demons. like a. I don't know. Well, Any, those colors don't do it for me. <laughs> well, it, it, well, still, uh, the Stillwater hypos. I mean, that's probably like. I mean. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I'd put almost any morph up against those. Like, those Stillwater Hypos are, like, really awesome. And then uh, then the Red Kingsville Bull Snakes. Kingsville Reds are amazing. Oh, my God. Those things are so awesome. Well, and, like, Albino Northerns suck, but Albino Southerns are awesome. Because you get, like, that really nice bright white, but you get the really bright red from the Southern. And that's what's awesome. Because, like, a, a normal northern, especially, like, North Carolina up, where you get that black and white, is uh, those pine snakes are really awesome. on this thing, either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll sit here and talk for an hour to Ryan. Yeah. That's not yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, we keep the show going. It's cool. I got plenty of... Southern... No drinking, either. Yeah, I got plenty of southern blondes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, no, it, it was great because like, um, you know, I to say. as I was in Arkansas longer, you know, and, and I met Randall and then, uh, you know, Dennis, and then there's another guy, David Westbrook. He has a lot of experience. Nice. And then, sure. you, uh, you know, Matt and Anya Littlefield and originally Matt, uh, I mean, Anya was with Adam. Yeah. And uh, Adam has a lot of experience with boas and other stuff. He does. But, uh, you know, even though even python. though Anya mainly breeds ball pythons mm -hmm. and and she does angolans and hognose too. I knew both of them before they got married. They lived together and they just had their yeah ball pythons. Yeah, Adam and Anya. Yeah, it's crazy how they. It's funny because like I actually have a uh, Anya's normal male ball python. It's like the first one she ever bought. He's like thirteen years old, and she's like, "Do you want this snake?" I was like, uh, "All right, yeah, that's fine, whatever." <laughs> But um, you know, so I think I have two normal male ball pythons, which are probably like the rarest ball python you could find right now. <laughs> they're just like like two normal males. They're just in my, one of my CB seventy racks, and like people will come over and I'm like showing them all like you know the the short tails and some of the colubrids I have. And, and uh, go, what is and this? And then I open a tub and I'm like, Do you have you know, a king cobra? What's going on here? I wish, I, I wish. You know, that's one thing like, I'm excited about the reptile garden thing is, you know, I don't have any venomous really. I mean, I've been around venomous because, you know, like I was telling you guys last week about Ted Thompson. You know, Ted has a lot of the awesome South Carolina and Georgia red pygmies. And then he's got some dusky pygmy uh, morphs. You know, he's had some uh, dusky pygmy morphs pop up out of his collection. Pygmies. I can. Yeah. And he, he got like stripes and like something looks like a hypo or something. Uh, did you? Lotto. Does anybody know about that that copperhead you have? You tell. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Randall actually has a. Uh, I guess what you would call it is a super stripe copperhead. It looks like a super stripe Borneo, but it's a copperhead. <laughs> and it, it's it's amazing looking. Like the the back pattern is just a solid stripe, and then the sides are completely clean. Like when so I saw that snake. So like the top is going to be your tan coloration and then the darker coloration is on the sides. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's like a complete, um, I don't know what's going on. Oh, <laughs> what are you doing, Randall? <laughs> I was That's like, what's picture. going on? Uh, no, I was, oh, yeah. off? no, 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 no. They're, they're there. I, just, I was going to show you a picture of that. Oh <laughs> yeah. The, um, like, so like, you know, our Southern copperheads, 
you know, you have the, like the reds and the brownish on the side, and then you have the cream on the top. So this particular snake that Randall has, it's like completely wide banded cream colored stripe on the top, like all the dorsals just connected. And then like on the sides is completely bald. Oh, yeah, tell about, yeah, I'll, I'll pee him a picture of it. Okay. Yeah. He's going to send you guys a picture of it. It's like, uh, I forgot he had that snake. And then when I came over a couple weeks, oh, well, a couple, what was Graham here? A month, a month ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like last month when Graham came over from the UK and I was looking at Randall's collection, you know, back then he had, he, you know, he had some, uh, rhino rat snakes, which are, I mean, I love those things. And he had them in a, you know, Neodesh, uh, arboreal type setups and i was like you know the first thing you see when you walk in was those rhino rats and i was like oh my god now kathy love has them yeah now kathy has them she said oh, that setup she set up for him is pretty crazy oh man that's insane yeah it's awesome i mean rhino rat snakes it's like the funny thing about asian rats is like as long as you don't keep them too hot they're super easy they just don't 70. just don't keep Air conditioned 73. That's, that's it. Real problem. Yeah. Eight, eight. 70 to 78. 75. Just, just don't let them get too hot. And I thought they're, Randall they're had to go. I feel like Randall's still on the show right now. Well, I, well you know, he, he's right here. Randall cannot not be involved. You know, so he, he's right here. You know. But... And it's crazy, though, from what I've Delayed. heard as far as the uh, Asian rat snakes, it's like, it's like the opposite of what you think. Like, usually. <laughs> you get things hotter, their metabolism goes up, but it's almost like they get cooler and they digest better. If they get too hot, they start, you know, regurging and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, like, um, it, it, it's insane, like, how they're they're kind of, like, what most people would think of, like, at least Python and Boa Keepers, anyway. Just do the opposite. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're... they're, they're I don't do. And I admire that. I mean... Yeah. Uh, I had a Borneo blood years and years ago, and then mm -hmm. that's the only other blood I ever had. And I got rid of it. It was about that big. Yeah. I got, we came out of Indo or whatever. It was on camera. Mm -hmm. It was you know, bushes or reptile syndrome or something. Bit me that four or five times. And I saw that motherfucker. I mean, like <laughs> a month later. <laughs> so, I mean, you and Ryan, I mean, you short tail blood, blood what, is not. Well, it's funny. It's like last week when I was on it, and Joe was asking me about like the blood. original, the, the original Borneos I had back in the 90s. Yeah. And like, I, the Borneos were cool. It's just when I worked at Pete's, you know, he had Malaysian bloods, which, you know, we well, don't have, which, you know, I don't have they, anymore. Yeah, but they buy them. Oh, right? Malaysian bloods are horrible. I mean, they'll just. Oh, they suck. Even when you got them on a hook. Oh, oh, oh they it. sucked. Oh, there's no hooking. <laughs> there's no hooking the giant fat snake. There's no, there's no hooking those things. You just got to yeah, kind of, I mean, you just got to kind of take it. Like they put you, like, it, yeah. like they fall put you in, like, yeah, the morning room. I mean, uh, the room. Well, it's like I told him last night, I yeah. called it the wall of death. Yeah. Because you had Malaysian bloods and you had Brazilians. And you just well, like, these last, were like you 19... did the last, right? Yeah, these were like the mid '90s Brazilian <laughs> rainbow boas, so they weren't like all super chill, like you know, 2018. You know, the Brazilians yeah. are all pretty chill. Were they all wild caught originally, I guess. Uh, Pete had like F2, F3, stuff like that. You Was know, they didn't have like the wild caught in Capricorn. They still temper, still bad. Eh. What? What? The Brazilians? No, the Epicrates? The Malaysian bloods. Oh, they they all sucked. <laughs> I mean, matter. No, they didn't calm down if they were Capricorn. They were still like the crap. Well, no, because like Pete only had like F two, F three, you know, Captain Bread. I mean, and they they were. Still, I know, but they were I mean, still was dead. the behavior the same for the Captain yeah, Bread as well, the Wilds? Well, what I will say though is like, because you know that was like ninety six, ninety seven, 
98 that I was taking care of those. And like, you know, now here it is 20 years later. Yeah. Like we keep short tails completely different than how we did back then. As you know, back then, remember how like everybody kept them like super, super moist, super humid, and like super hot. Exactly. Like now, very hot. We need a crush field. Oh, cypress small. If they have to take, I mean, pour a gallon of water in there. They, they got to survive. Yeah, they can't. yeah. It, it's like now, like now being a primary short kit, short tail keeper. And I think about like how people kept back in the days, like including myself. I was like, wow. How did those things not die? I mean, it's like, you know, because like all I think about was like with with super humid, wet setups or whatever. All I think about is like bacteria and all kinds of other shit. I mean, my room is like 55, maybe 60 percent humidity. And you know what? Like most of my hospitals. Yeah, for the most part, like I have some that like they have the dry shed like on back description yeah strip. and that's it but like yeah they get it off their head neck and face and all that stuff right yeah yeah um, ryan our friend yeah. brandon asked what kind of substrate you keep your short tails on on i i'm almost everything i keep them on paper to be honest like paper <laughs> towels it, no no oh no sorry okay like, ha- like hatchlings i'll do paper towels but, um anything like six months and up like i'll do uh newspaper okay for like smaller stuff but then like a lot of the bigger stuff like i go to lowe's and i buy uh i go in the paint section and i get it's like cardboard it's it's uh, craft like craft yeah it's like cardboard craft paper or something Hmm. and i buy those in big rolls for like ten dollars a piece and that's what i use for mine and i i and i layer it okay because yeah with short tails and bullets like they they like to be uh, hidden, right? Like even even if you if you put enough bedding in there, like the only thing that'll usually be exposed is like their eyes and their nostrils. Like they'll they they'll like bury the themselves as much as possible. And uh, with the paper, like they'll get in between the layers. A lot of them. I mean, some of my big adults, you know, don't do that. They just kind of lay on the top. But a lot of them, you know, even like a if you know a five foot, exposed. you know, almost twenty pound snake. I mean, they'll be completely buried even between the layers of paper to where like only their face and their nose is exposed. You know why they do that, don't you? They yeah, do, yeah. Uh, well, and I've also so noticed that a lot of them, they, they're more secure, they're bigger and they know yeah. them. They don't have, they have ones high, they're smaller. I mean, yeah. Well, like one thing I noticed is because like rats are right next to me. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're having like a three-way conversation, by the way. No, but it is a, a B, solid two-way, but a, it's all. <laughs> A, B, and C <laughs> no. with a very it big C. It is A and B. A, a, giant, a giant C. But, uh, the prettiest one. Yeah. Well, yeah. No. But, uh, <laughs> there was a solid four oh, minutes so. where y'all were so. just Sorry, talking. Joe. You're second. Yeah. No, you're yeah. third. I'm second. Yeah, Joe's third. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, what I noticed, like, with my short tails is a lot of them is like, yeah. You know, when they lay with their head completely flat against the ground, <laughs> is uh-huh. like though their head will lay close to like the water bowl. And uh, I was talking to Kara, you know, Norris and then uh, Nick Patini about it that I noticed that. And I was like, I wonder if like in the wild, like they chill out by like a water source, and that's maybe why they do it. Like, I remember that. Now. I don't know if they do that for a fact, but like in the wild. But I just know in in their tubs, 
or their cages, like they'll lay like with their head like pretty close to the water bowl, especially the blood pythons. And like I'm like that wouldn't surprise me. Like you know if they like bury in the bedding or something, like or you know out in the wild if they bury in the brush, like next to like a you know canal or water or something, and just wait for something to come out and drink and bang. You know because I know that's where I would imagine most pythons, most at least like African and Indo pythons. I I would. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Like if they hunt near the water water sources. My I mean, thing was that a lot of those animals, at least bloods, were um, captured near like bogs and pretty much yeah. really really wet environments, and that's why people were like flooding out enclosures to begin with. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that doesn't surprise me at all because like Indo and you know all those countries yeah. over there, yeah. you know, just like why the Everglades is such a great environment for berms. I think the reason that people were having issues with RIs with like bloods and berms and stuff like that is because out in the wild, you know, they could heat up using the sun and also they're not confined in that enclosure or that tub to where like the air gets stagnant because like a a lot of us uh, short tail keepers and I've always done that even with like Burmese pythons. So, you know, like when I made the, you know, homemade cages, I put like the big sides, you know, like big screen siding so they, there's plenty of airflow because like in my reptile room i have three fans going you I know because i have yeah yeah i mean you're, you're just, you're right just like circulating the air, the air and also and, the like so kind of like is bacteria yeah one and, and you're to, right in the wild they, and they to control the heat drive. the heat and the like because like when i have the fans going around like what i've noticed is having the fans and you know controlling the temperature it's like I don't really have much fluctuation. Like the coldest side of my room would be like 77. So what I've done because of that is like in the one section that gets like the coldest, like when it gets like really cold at night, is I put my, you know, my, you know, because I'm not really breeding colubrids anymore, but I put my like colubrids and brittles and like anteresia, I put them over on the side where it drops. I didn't know yet, you know. Really? I know you I hate brittles, dude. Yeah. You didn't know that? Yeah. No, well, I forget. You know, like, there's no one to be like, how many brittles pythons do you have? I was like, uh, and I start counting them. I was like, fuck, I made eight of those things. I didn't know that. No. It's, so, it's so bad. I'm like, how many brittles do I have? Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> God. You know, care, someone asked me, how many Borneos do you have? I started counting them. I was like, oh, God. Uh, 35. <laughs> You know, wanna but... take out take out your headphones. So if we're talking, Randall can hear us. If we get feedback, then put them back on. But yeah, otherwise, yeah, it's <laughs> wait. I don't think you heard. You. Did you hear me? Uh, headphones. Yeah, you said... take unplug, unplug them, them so that Randall can hear us since he's there anyway. Oh, okay. Are we still? Is it, is it just us talking now, or is it still? No, we like are live. The... <laughs> okay. Okay. No, no, no. Just they said. Holy fuck! If <laughs> they said if like you're gonna keep talking, like just unplug the headphones so then like people could hear what you're saying. But I was no, like, ah, they can hear uh. him, but it's so he can hear us. Oh, so you could hear what they're saying. Yeah, well, you're not live, are you? No, no, I'm live. I know, I'm no, live. No, no, yeah, you are. You are. <laughs> I'm live. Yeah, I'll just translate. <laughs> I'll just translate. I'll just, I'll just pass on what. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm trying. laughs> 
you two, I mean, just working the whole the whole camera is funny within itself. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's entertaining enough, you know. But hey, the phone did not slip once. <laughs> no, 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 no. We got that on lockdown. <laughs> that's that's not moving an inch. <laughs> that's squared away. You know, because like even the wife came out, she's like, "Are you bitching about your phone?" I was like, "Cause it keeps sliding." Because oh. like I, I mean, the way I the way I had it set up, I think I had like shipping boxes and like it was set up against that, and like I had one of her little fancy candle holder thingies, trying to hold it up, and it just kept you know slowly dropping every you know. And if I wasn't blitzed, I probably would have realized it even <laughs> like quicker. Because like last week, I was like gone. I drank two Yingling's before I started drinking that six pack of that like that weird voodoo stuff that was like nine percent alcohol. And like by the time like we were like an hour and a half, well, an hour in, let's be. Honest, I was just like, you know, just talking about whatever. My favorite part was, I gotta go pee. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I was like, hey dude, I'm gonna piss. I think, yeah, and I was like, I'll see you later. Yeah. there by herself looking around. Well, then the kid. You know, later on in the video, she was just like, you know, she's like doing something in there. And I was like, what the? <laughs> you know, she's like talking to one of her friends all loud. And I'm like, what are you, yeah. what's going on in there? I thought somebody was hurt, killing her or something. I was like, what's going on? She's like, dad, I'm just laughing with my friends. I was like, all right. <laughs> laughing at you. Okay. Yeah. Well, probably, but that's fine. Is she into snakes? No. She she's um daughter, but she's cool with it. Like um, you know, like the uh the retic, the infamous NRBC retic that you're holding in the video. Yeah. You know, like I'll I'll take her out all the time, and like you know, I'll just drape it across the kid, and she's totally cool with it. She doesn't care. Just drape it across. Which the is kid. funny because like her her dad comes over, and Jeremy's a really cool dude, but like he's so scared of snakes. Like for the longest time, we had a uh, a really big uh, anal male that I had, um, email corn that is called Big Red. Oh, wow, that's sweet. Nice scarlet candy. Yeah, that's nice scarlet yeah, candy. Nice. Um, Yellow. And, it, you know, he was like four foot or something like that, but he's just a big old email motley corn I had forever. And, like, he was scared to death of that snake, and I was like, it's a corn snake. And he was like, oh, man, I don't do snakes. I was like, you fucking puss. I was like, it's a corn snake. <laughs> I think I don't think I've ever been bit by a big corn snake before in my life. I mean, um, you know, those Polk County corns I had that were F2s, the babies. Yeah. They were kind of dicks, but I mean, they were, you know, F2s. I mean, I don't know if people realize, especially I've realized with corns is like it really matters as far as captive generations. Like like my palmettos are F1s because they were it was the wild caught male that went back to a female and then those f1s were bred back to a wild caught i don't know male or something like that so it ended up you know their f1 and their little psychos or you know my lava stuff or is f2 and that's a little skittish too but then like most of the other stuff's chill so i mean it's really diff- a big difference <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no dude yeah absolutely and one thing i, I love lava corns here check this out randall just brought this out to me tricolor hog i was gonna say is it a cop <laughs> <laughs> no i wouldn't be i mean i, I haven't drank that many beers like whack i'll see you guys later <laughs> well that's the wrong one the coral snake south america <laughs> don't mind me that's the hematoxins going to my heart but uh 
Ah, oh man, man. Trico, I remember when I first saw these things, I was like, this is awesome. Has he had success with those? I mean, that's obviously looks like an adult or close to an yeah. adult. No, 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 that, that's, what is that, seven-adult female? Yeah, seven-adult, yeah. Female. Now, um, have you bred these? No, I, I got rid of mine. They, they're about like that, about double that size. I got rid of them years ago. Yeah. I just, well, they're super they're productive. Like, I know females common, like, And then you didn't see them for like 10 years. Yeah, females throw like five clutches if you're. Well, I've yeah. heard that the females throw a bunch of clutches and then they croak. Like, then they die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's about. Right? I mean, be like you know, hundred percent raw, uncut, honest. I mean, yeah, it it like I didn't know that until a couple of years ago. I mean, again, my buddy Ted Thompson, he, uh, you know, he's breeding tricolor hogs. And I remember when I saw those. I think it was like two thousand and three was the first time I saw those things, and I was like, they have tricolor hog snakes. I was like, those things are amazing. And he's like, yeah, but the females like breed themselves to death. I was like, oh well. That sucks. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's interesting. Whether they just do that in the wild to get their progeny out and then just die, or we're fucking it up. Like, I don't know what. Dude, I mean, but it's it's. I mean, they're super easy to take care of. I mean, I, I mean, like with my other colubrids, like like the uh, all the, you know, the Hunterans and the Sinaloans and all the Getchua Kings and all, all that. Even if I didn't breed the females again. A lot of the time, they would still double clutch. But what I realized though is like they were gonna double clutch. But if I didn't breed him, oh, oh, you dick! <laughs> if I, <laughs> oh man, I didn't know what that was going on. But you came out barehanded. I was like, that's probably not a copper. I came up with the hook. Yeah. yeah, if you came up with the little the Hello Kitty hook, uh, you know, yeah, there it is. <laughs> Yeah, Randall literally yeah, has a Hello yeah, Kitty hook. Yeah. He, he does. Baby. But, uh, <laughs> if, what are the uh, rules in Arkansas about venomous? Just permit? I'm not, I'm, I'm not totally sure. Just because I don't keep them. Because I have too much ADHD, as you guys learned last week. Um, you will be keeping them when you're working. Well, yes. I mean, you, you're, gonna be you're training me training how to do it correctly. Graham knows that too. He has to be Yeah, training. I... I my ADHD is it's too real. So are you taking my, this opportunity to kind of work with Randall and check some stuff get, out? Well, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, cause like, you know, when I'm just a snake guy, I mean, I like everything. I mean, temple vipers are awesome. All the tree vipers are cool. Kaboons, all that stuff's neat. You know, all the curdleless, you know, the rattlesnakes, those are awesome. Um, I just never had like a real mentor with those. And also, you know, uh, you know, my collection being non-venomous, you know, I just go rifling through the cages and the racks or whatever. I was just always worried that even if I had labels on them, the ADHD, would I just was worried about that kicking in and me just being like, oh, yeah, you know, and I pull it open thinking it's a Borneo and it's a baboon and, you know, whack and I'm laying there, you know, dead. Is there, you know, is there anything venomous? I mean, obviously, it's not 100% your thing, but I mean, now that you have this platform, I mean, is there any venomous that you definitely want to work with i think you know even though that i said last week that you know so many beginners want a kaboon viper first i think that you know down the road now so i'm not contradicting myself and being a hypocrite i get training from randall doing the venomous thing or whatever i i think most people that are into snakes 
Agaboon Viper is one of their favorite animals, just because well, of how shaped, it, just like your favorite snake. I mean, well, and 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 that's where I was going. I mean, I love Borneos and Bloods and Curtis and all that giant stuff. Slugs, yeah. giant about, giant yeah. slug snakes. So, you know, a Agaboon. But I will say though, <laughs> the wife was like, no venomous snakes. And I will say though, it's like I mean, because like you meeting new wife. What's that? <laughs> in life. I don't know, I don't know dude. She's, uh, she's pretty awesome because, like, when yeah. I. No, I mean, because, like. as understanding as Randall's life. No, I'm, no I mean, uh, yeah. no, my, my wife, my wife is awesome. I mean, like, when I was like, hey, babe, you know, I really want to turn the garage into a snake room. No. Sorry. She was like, she's like, that's cool. You know, I mean, she trusts me completely, but she just I said, please, no venomous, yeah, everybody which was yeah. fine with me. Yeah, I mean, I love venomous snakes, but I was never like, I must have, <laughs> you know, because I, I really like cobras. I mean, cobras are amazing, especially like those ones that Tom Crutchfield has, like the, the they're from Pakistan and Iran, like the solid black ones. The ones where he's like, there's no anti-venom for this. So yeah, me. the ones like, yeah, if you're a bit, you're like hundred percent guaranteed fucked. If you don't you know. die, you'll trip hard, which is cool. yeah. <laughs> Hashtag fucked. You're done. Uh, yeah, those. And then um, you know, but I, I like all the. Even though I said those, I mean, but which was which was true when I said that last week. You know, I mean, like rhinos, gaboons, and puff adders and all that stuff. I mean, they're not good beginner venomous snakes. I mean, they're not. You know, but I mean. Russell's vipers, gaboons, rhinos, puff adders. I mean, th those are all favorite ones. I mean, I love those. I mean, they're built like Borneos, and they're just super amazing. But I'm not dumb. To, I mean, I understand. I just hope to learn as much as I can from Randall. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I was just—he's obviously bred bush vipers. Where the bush viper or uh, bush masters? What the fuck am I talking about? Yeah, and uh, wagglers—he bred wagglers. Which yep. was, I mean, some of the you, know, you <laughs> can't really ask for anything more. No, I mean venomous snakes, man. I mean it's—I mean all of us keep on venomous. Obviously, most of us anyway. No, and no. but like when you get to like the temple vipers and geez. I ain't missing this shit this year. <laughs> Is Randall still breeding? I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, he's there. I'm at his house. No, is he still breeding? I was asking. Oh, um, well, I, well, Randall, you have breeding projects growing up, but you're not like really like proactively breeding anything right no. now, right? No. You have those rich and those vipers. I got stuff growing up. Those are cool. I'm just got stuff growing up. Where, well, I, where are I those think things I've got from? Anyway? Grab a female um, green tree pit vipers in there. Okay, he said he might have. Uh, uh, two green tree pit vipers. Two weeks. Looks like. Yeah, those those things are cool looking. I I not seen those that I remember. They have a red tail, don't they? Yes. Like the Ganyasoma. Most all of them do. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Like doing the whole. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty Cottle neat. Luring and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like you know, because like what I told you guys last week when I was here and I saw uh, zebra when I first came over and I saw the zebra cobras, which Randall didn't mention. But, yeah, but you said like the scientific name, which nobody watching Naya They'll be like, "What the hell is that?" Yeah, they don't. Yeah. They don't even know what a ball python's like scientific name is. They'll be like, "What?" Yeah, they call them. Yeah. Like if you say a laffe katata, they'll be like, "What is that? What's a laffe?" 
They don't call it laughing. Yeah. Panther Rufus yeah. now. Pan Get Panther, with it, dude. Yeah, Panther Rufus. Get educated, dude. What's going on? Like, oh, Read a book. <laughs> the new guys, all the new kids, Condor Python. What's that? Oh yeah, it's Morelia. Oh no, I can I can never call Condor Morelia. Never. I think that would. <laughs> I think it slipped my own throat. I just can't do it. <laughs> well, I mean, like they, uh, like when they changed, uh, which I understand why they changed scrub pythons, but like when they changed like all the scrubs to Somalia and all that, like I get that, and I also get why they called them Morelia. In the beginning, but it's like it's so hard to come. But you can't. It's like the, the it, it's so hard. Before Chondra Python, and then they lumped the Chondra Python into. Yeah, they. The well, I mean, just laziness. It, you, you, if you took some of the North American taxonomists that want to change rat snakes like every five weeks, like okay, yeah. October we're going to call it Pantherops obsoleta, yeah, and then December we're going to call it uh, blah blah blah, but, you know something. Agree. Like when they when they combined all but, you know, the black, go back to the lady, They basically later. said, and you know this, Joe, because I know how much you love Kerberts. But like when they basically classified black rats as the, are the same as yellow rats. That's insane. That's and insane. also, I mean, if you take the phenotype, obviously there's there's gray rats that are black in coloration. There's western rats that are black in coloration. There's eastern rats that are black in coloration. There's yellow rats that are eastern are you, rats that are, are you, the same thing as black rats. It's like, what? It's very, um, the phenotypes don't match what is, what technically DNA has decided, I guess, is blind. So it's it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, and you, if you listen to any of Mutton's uh, podcasts, <laughs> uh, shut the fuck up. Uh, when he's talking about like you know the percentage differences between certain stuff, I mean, and you look at like I mean, good lord, man! Like it is growing up in Florida and then now living in Arkansas, where catch black rats, like you know, basically <laughs> love the bastard. You buy both of them. Um, you know, they're probably <laughs> technically gray rats, right? What here? Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess if some taxonomist that has never stepped foot here with but <laughs> they are no way shape or form anything like a gray rat which is I, I don't know man it's from being a field herper as well as you know no, no, a private no, keeper no, it's insane to me no, what anything, some of these no, taxonomists behavior looks scalation anything well most okay like there's one thing I don't know how much experience you've had between like captive and wild black rats in particular or but like for some reason, like you can go out and you can just you can grab a black rat off a tree branch, yeah, or from a rain pipe or whatever yeah, you find. Yeah. Totally chill. You take that same black rat and you put it in a cage. That snake is an asshole. It'll eat your lunch. I don't know why that is. It'll be the exact same snake. You can catch it out of a, a tree, and it's totally it. fine. And never bite you. Can handle it. You can do a YouTube video with it, whatever. Oh, uh, you can handle it. It's totally cool. Shirt, take it home, put it in a cage, reach it you the next it. day. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, the, the Western rat, on the other hand, is 100% asshole all the time. Oh, well, it's actually rat is always dead. So it doesn't matter. And oh, they're, they're... We just got... <laughs> No, they, they, it bit me. Someone was like, oh, you took a picture with that because I just got uh, a group of Texas rats. Someone was like, oh, you got a picture with it? Like, mine would bite me. I was like, 
I never said I didn't get bit when I took this picture. Like, uh, just because I have the well, picture you, doesn't mean I didn't get bit. When we filmed the video, you didn't get bit, but is it because yeah, they, they were cold? Really cold? I got bit when I took the picture. <laughs> what did um? What Texas did you get? Because I didn't watch that last video. I just got a leucistic and a het leucistic. Okay, what is this? All right. Oh, okay. Cool. Black rat, maybe. Oh, no, 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 no. I know that. I have it. I was like, just making sure what your hand. Oh, you think I'm gonna hand you the? No, no. I know that. Good like, God. barehanded. Like, here's a tree well, piper. if you die, you know? I want it to be on my show. I mean, so. Yeah. I mean, dude, go out with a bang. Ouch. See? It just bit me! A baby <laughs> black it? rat snake! Uh-oh. It just bit me between my knuckles. I, I hate getting bit there, too. But see, anyway. All right. Whoa. All right, so here's a baby black rat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a... <laughs> I have one black rat, at least a I'm baby, that will let me ours. hold it. And I have mm-hmm. one that, well, Don't. by let me hold it, I just stay still. Do not hand me one of the adults while I'm on this show, please. Because okay. <laughs> I know I'm gonna get, I'll get bit in the neck or something. As soon as I open the tub of our black rats, I just can already tell, like, nope, not going to happen. Like, You I know, start, the, yeah. the, the funny thing is, is like, you know, even though I like all this, you know, exotic stuff, like a lot of the stuff you guys have, like the fuscus and the olives and all that, I, I love uh, those snakes. But like, what's cool is like, I love just regular black rats. Like just, you know, they don't even need, I mean, no morphs, whatever, just like, you know, they're super cool. Like he has one back there that like, I really want that snake, but of course he's keeping it, which I understand. But like, it's black rat, but it has like a ton of red in it, which is insane like i've seen black rats like that every now and then um but like this black rat has like a ton of oh my god if i get bit on camera all right fuck it whatever does he does he know where those derive from is this is this the one with the red in it yeah okay yeah this is the one with red but i don't think from where'd you catch this one randall i call elman about a block from here it was uh crawling on okay so that Okay, so this is a Pulaski County, Little Rock locality. <laughs> so I don't think you can see. Can you? Uh, no. Yeah, can't see right on that. Ah, see, what? Just bit me. You fuck <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. All right, here, take that bastard. Ow! <laughs> I just bit him, too. Uh, and okay. that's why I will never touch them. They always bite right in the forum, too. Uh, uh, <laughs> me a bee, that one bit me. An adult, that one bit me. Oh, black rats are great beginner snakes. So. Oh, man. She bit the shit out of me, too. I'm just. But I, I don't here. think that there's, there's any reason why we shouldn't. I mean, I don't know why people don't think those animals are awesome. When I don't. You, they are. We're going we're gonna to end up, because of him, we're going to end up with so it's, many black snakes at the end. I'm like, what the heck? Why it's actually... You keep getting these snakes that all turn black. I'm like, what is the point? I do not get it. I don't but, get what, what you well, see. To be honest, what's funny to me is like people like spending like hand money hand over black king snakes. Why well, I can literally like probably catch like half a dozen black rats in, on a good day and a spring day. Like I'll catch you half a dozen black rats. <laughs> the one that bit me in the arm bit him in the stomach. Um, oh, I mean, besides that, you know, little tidbit. I mean, you might be, you might get bit. Constantly, but you know. got you good. Uh, then, oh, oh, he bit me good. Where is it? Where is it? Your 
Bleeding right there. Oh, bleeding right there. See, I don't even know where you he got your both sides. Oh, there it is. See, yeah, it's not that bad, kids. But, but I mean, um... even the the Mexican black is so popular. <laughs> but I mean, you can buy a Mexican black for three hundred bucks, or you can buy a melanistic Thayeri for like a hundred bucks, and they look exactly the same. And they do exactly the same. I mean, but it's funny because like when I was talking to Kara the other day on phone, it's like when I, the last time I bred Mexican black kings. You know, on Saturday, I was selling them. I was trying to sell them for 50 bucks. And then, now, granted, this was like five years ago, but 50 bucks, I think I sold like one or two. But then the next day, I, you know, because Sundays, not everybody does this, but a lot of people do, even if they don't tell you they do it. Sundays usually drop prices on show at the show. Certain animals. Yeah. You know, especially if you have like 150 babies and you want to blow your brains out. Um, you know... I would sell Mexican Black Kings on a Sunday for like 30 bucks. But what was funny is like I'd sell like a pair. You know, nowadays, if you did, if you sold them for 50 bucks a piece, like you'd sell every single one of them, they'd be gone. And you sell them probably for 150 and sell out. I mean, oh, oh, point, oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they're gone. Well, it's kind of like, um, you know, especially nowadays, Sonata, you know, all the California Mountain Kings. Like I'll see, in it, and this was even a couple of years ago. I would see some because you can't you can't get the Baja Mountain, you know the Agamas. You can't get the Baja Mountains anymore, really. I mean, it's all Juarez. But somebody would post a mail for like you know five hundred bucks or something for a worm. It's like you know that big. You know you have to feed a pinky heads. That that bastard would sell in thirty minutes. And I know the reason it was only 30 minutes is because that's how long it took the dude to update that it was sold. Right. Like you put it, you put one as Zanata, but you put an Agama, whether it's Baja or Juarez. Well, Baja is going to be gone like instantly, but like those things are gone like super fast, which sucks because like, man, you know, I hate seeing, I mean, I know all the, the big, huge producers still produce colubrids. But it's sad for me, even though I, you know, mainly keep short tails and whatever. Now, I mean, I I love colubrids, and it sucks seeing like, I mean, man, dude, it's so hard to find like the most regular stuff. I mean, Splendida, you know, the Desert Kings, they're one of my favorite kings. They're like, cool. I'm not, I've kept those since I was anymore. like 15 years no old. No like, anymore. No, I well, yeah, they breed more. Last year, I saw them going for everyone was selling for, you know. 25 to 50 bucks and now this year they're 150 now that kink snakes are really hitting and it's like now i think there'll be more interest in them because now there's a little bit economic you know which is them. which is probably like why randall and i hit it off so much and you know because like you i know you guys are on that that path too is like dude it's just a cool snake like who cares how much it's worth like, that's, like, one thing that drives me nuts. It's, like, you know, I mean, I have snakes that I've spent a $1,000 on, but I also have snakes that I was either given for free or I caught or was 50 bucks. Like, Randall, like, when I chimed in, like, when he was talking about my whole brook guy, he's not getting those. Like, I caught those, and those are mine. The Speckled Kings are one of my favorite snakes, and he's dreaming. If he thinks he's going to Well, and, and also, I mean, down there in Arkansas, Texas, uh, Oklahoma, I mean, people don't give too many shits. Up here, that would be like gold. People would be like, I've never seen that before, and someone would pay for it, you know? Spe speckled, speckled Kings, 
I think any person that like really likes snakes will think a speckled king is awesome. I like if you like a diamond python, a why not? You know, settle I like the for speckled. A speckled they're, king. They're, they're a poor man's spotted python. I mean, they are amazing. And then you get into like the you leave your trucks in the left and get out. She's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, will you talk to them for a yeah. second? And then <laughs> here's Grandma, like, yeah, an hour, but here, here you go. Swapsies again. Here you go. They're going uh. And just so she's got to run an air real quick. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, okay. Hey guys, I had Randall, to make Ryan you... move. I had to make Ryan move his truck. My wife was going out to get a pizza, and I said, "Ryan, move your damn truck." <laughs> it's important stuff, man. It's important stuff. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Randall, what do you think about uh, Ryan? Just like talking about oh, this snake and this snake, these little baby snakes. So, I mean, it seems like you're getting more into, you know, native North American colubers as well. Well, I've always been into them, but I, you know, I got out, I mean, I've got out of them like 20, 30 years ago. I just got into Asian stuff and mostly South American, you know, Bushmasters and, and Lanceheads. Um, and I still, and my passion has always been venomous snakes and crocodilians. You know, I've worked almost every species of crocodiles and, um, you know, I love them, but, I, but, but I'm, older now and so uh, you know i'm not afraid of dying or getting bit by a venomous snake it's like live by the sword die by the sword um yeah, I, i'm getting back into clubers now because a lot of people have gotten out of that you know like different morphs of corn snakes and black rat snakes and little things like that that people have just totally just forgotten because they think they're trash snakes or they're junk snakes you know i mean they're because they're not worth money because i'm not money driven you're not going to make money in this hobby really you will in spurts but you're ne never going to become rich breeding snakes and so i realized that way early on and i do it because it's a hobby and it's a passion and i love it you know i also play guitar and piano and drums and stuff and i record my own music and stuff I used to be in bands all through high school and out of high school and, and uh, did a lot of gigs and stuff. But, I mean, now I don't have a band. Now I have my own recording studio, and I, I write a lot of stuff. And um, everything sounds like 10cc or the Beatles, you know, everything I write. So, uh, you know, it, 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 I do it for the – I'm not going to make any money off it. I'm not going to become a rock star or anything like that. I'm, I'm, I'm just doing it because I, I, I do it for the hobby, and I think – Joe, I think you do too. The, the things you keep and stuff, you you have a passion for it. You you really love reptiles. I can tell. Uh, you ask the right questions, and um, you know you don't. You know, Joe, I've watched your show several times. You don't um, come on like a know-it-all or anything like that. You're you're great. You ask the right questions, and you ask questions about snakes also because you. I think you really want to know what the answer is or get a, an idea, something you can try. Well, you know what I mean? Because I don't know shit. <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's, no, yeah, there's you more do. to know. You know, there's just more, yeah, you, more know, to know. you know, you know, no, exactly. It, it, you can never quit learning. I will never say that. I, I'll never quit learning. No one does. <laughs> when the day you, you quit learning or say I've learned it all is the day that's you're, it's bullshit. You're not gonna, you know. <laughs> don't grab my beer, Ryan. Ryan, grab my beer. Like, like the fact that I can still find out that there's a new species of snake that I didn't know of before. Like, 
you know, there's so many snakes out there. Like, not only do you not know everything about snakes, but you can also just like, you don't even know a snake existed. And one day it comes to your, you know, it comes to the forefront. You're like, holy shit. And it's very cool when that happens. It's true. And there are still snakes out there in the world, especially South America and Africa, that have, uh, that man has not discovered yet. Because there are places all over the earth that, that we have not, that man has not actually walked back and forth in different times of the year. And there are new species of birds and snakes and, and bugs and mammals that are being found and uh, crocodilians even, you know, uh, that are being found that we thought were extinct or just never existed. And now we're finding small pools and pockets of them in different areas and stuff. There, there's so many places in the Amazon that man, not even the natives have ever walked through. So you're going to see some weird sort of jaguar or something, you know, cat or something that, that uh, never been seen before, you know, because it lives in a small pocket, a small area. This little niche that that it has, and it's always surviving that. You know, it could be five hundred acres round or square. When that's it, that's the only place they all live, and they have very limited offspring. Maybe one offspring every five years or whatever. But we never see them. We walk in there, we go, oh, we take photos of it, and and they capture them, and they do blood work or whatever DNA work, and oh, it's a new species and stuff. So. Now, I mean, speaking of one of those, um, and let me know if I get the common name wrong, but Ethiopian mountain vipers. I mean, have you kept yeah. those? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you're talking about parviocula. Sure. So do I've you had know a lot that, of them. kind of the uh, the backstory of that and kind of. Yeah, they were uh, they're basically found in Ethiopia and uh, it's bit as parviocula. It's, it's, it's a member of, you know, like the rhino vipers and gaboon vipers and puff adders. Um they're usually found in in the coffee plantations in um, Ethiopia, and uh, they've been in the country for a while. I I had about ten of them at one time when they were first imported. Um, a friend of mine imported uh, in the United States, and I couldn't afford them, but he I kept them for him and shipped them out. I kept them for a few months. Uh, they're beautiful snakes. But I mean, that's an. I mean, I, I, you know, from... I had them for maybe a year or so. Some of them, you know, and it just. I just couldn't for them, and I, I just didn't really want them because I mean, they're gorgeous. But I've always, like I said, I've always been an Asian tree viper. Uh, you know, the Tropodemus wagleri, you know, Waggler's pit vipers, or, or any of the, you know, uh, Waggler pit vipers, Pope's pit vipers, purple, you know, purple spot pit pit vipers, or purple peepery, people eaters. <laughs> and and Ryan always he sees doing some purple people eater thing that is not true. <laughs> Um, our friend James uh, was asking if you've ever been to the Alexandria Zoo. Yes, many, many times I, I worked and I built their reptile exhibit. Um, Les Witt was the director there and he died a few uh, about eight years ago. Les was a very good friend of mine and taught me how to do gunite and concrete work at the Ellen Trout Zoo back in the 80s. And his wife is still the director as far as I know. Her name is Leanne Witt. And um, I, you know, I, I love Les to death. Uh, he had a heart transplant, and then he died um, about three years or so after he had his heart transplant. He he was one of my mentors and uh, a great snake guy to go snake hunting with. Uh, he was a, a, a blues uh, guy. He played with B.B. Uh, King and a lot of people. He was a keyboardist. 
And um, uh, I got to see him many times. He stayed at my house many times. I was a guest of their house many, many, many times in Alexandria, Louisiana. And it's a great zoo. And I, you know, I spent a lot of my formative years there because it was only about four hours from where I live. So I would go down there on a Friday after I got off work and, and come back on Sunday night and be back at work Monday morning. What a small world. Our friend James was a reptile keeper under Les Witt um, and is very close with his family. Oh, Les is, Les, he just, I mean, I don't know who you're talking to. I don't know if I know that person. He was just a probably... reptile keeper at the Alexandria Zoo. Oh, okay. Yeah. They, yeah I, I asked him if uh, Leanne is, her name is Leanne Witt, if Leanne is still director. I, I haven't talked to Leanne in about two years. So, and she's old like me, but. Not as old as me. <laughs> thank you very much. So thank you to you, Randall. And thank you, Ryan, wherever you are. He's out of here. I'll tell him. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a good night. And as far as we go, you can check us out on portcitypythons.com, portcitypythons on Instagram, portcitypythons pretty much everywhere. Randall, once again, thanks for coming on and have a good night. Thank you, Joe. And thanks, Melissa, for me too, please.